12. Daniel chapter 12. It's going to be kind of a simple chapter. We'll just kind of take our time through it. Not very many verses left over. All right. So we wrapped up last time. If you remember, in chapter 10, this is the the last series of of visions that Daniel has. Um, We're toward the very end of his life. I know that we've been off kind of a couple weeks, so... Just to kind of refresh this, this is the um, this is the time of he's in the Persian Empire. Um, this is after the time of the seventy-year Babylonian captivity. So um, that that has now passed. A lot of the uh, Israelites have already gone back to Israel. Um, Daniel, we know from history, stayed on. Uh, we think that he probably lived there the rest of his life. Passed away there. Um, I think some many many weeks ago, I showed you a archaeological tomb that is at least traditionally accepted as the place where uh, the prophet Daniel was buried there in Iran or Persia. Um, so this last chapter is this last encounter that he has with this angel. And chapters 11 and 12 uh, kind of detail things that we've been discussing off and on in different other places in the uh, book. Chapter 2, chapter 7, um, heavily chapter 8 uh, have all picked up on these themes. And basically, if you were to take the book of Daniel... And make a composite picture and say, and boil it down in a nutshell. What, what is it portraying is going to happen one day? And it says that basically one day there's going to be a, a time of configuration of events between armies and nations that will be unparalleled since the beginning of time up until the time it happens again. And it tells you that there are other places in history that you can look that will give you an idea of what it's going to be like. Most notably, we talked about Antiochus Epiphanes. There will arise a ruler at some point um, that will exercise control over the nation of Israel. Um, This ruler uh, will um, wear out the the strength of the saints, will seek to kill as many uh, Jews, Jewish Christians as possible. This uh, ruler will be different from his foes. Um, He won't have a god like his ancestors. It says that the only god that this one worships will be a god of fortresses. He'll be a god of war, somebody who uh, cares only about himself. And that in the end, after these events, is when the great deliverance takes place. And this is almost always associated with the great day of the Lord that's talked about all throughout the Old Testament. So we're squarely in the midst of that, and we're going to start reading in chapter 12, verse 1. And I'd like to get a little help with my voice this morning. Uh, Anybody interested in reading? Uh, Where's the microphone? Over here. Okay, so anybody over here, since you have it, since you have it, okay. All right, if you would, read uh, verses 1 through 2. Okay, at the time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Okay, so what are we talking about here? What what events is this describing? Tribulation. Tribulation. Can I see the microphone just in case anybody wants to... Okay, so what events are we describing? I heard somebody over here. 
Okay. Judgment. Time of judgment. Okay. Can you think of anywhere else in the scripture that discusses these events? Revelation. Anybody know it right off the top of their head? Revelation what? We'll go over there and check it out. Let's go find it. Let's go find it. Revelation, I believe it's going to be in chapter is it 20. Yep, there it is. Let's read it together. Uh, back it up to verse 11. This is Revelation chapter 20. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and the small. Great and small. What does that mean? I saw the dead, great and small. Does that mean like real big people and little bitty people? Also that. They'll be there too, won't they? What? Kings and peasants. That means, that means Queen Elizabeth and even little old me, right? We'll all be there in the end. Okay. Uh, keep reading with me. Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Did you notice that we just read that in the book of Daniel? Books were opened. How many of you realize that there's books in heaven? I would imagine there's quite a few books in heaven, but there are several books in heaven. One book is very important. It's called what? A book of life. <clears throat> Guess what? You want your name in that one. And the Bible says that when you become a follower of Christ, when you give your heart to him, your name is written down in that book. Okay? So we're talking about the time of the judgment. Keep reading with me. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, I have to always stop there for a second because almost everybody stops there and says, well, wait a minute. I thought we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. And yet, in the end, when you pull the potatoes out of the ground and you look at the roots, <laughs> what's he looking at? He's looking at what you did. Now, what do you think about that? Does that bother you? Does that create any theological uh, conundrums in your brain? Or uh, what, what, what do you think about this? Do you have any issues with being judged by your works on the, in the end? Okay, right here. She's got, want you to take it and then, then just very gently pitch it behind you and she'll catch it. Okay, I'm hang kidding. on a second. <laughs> so, for me, we all screw up. Okay. Even after we've professed our faith. So, no, I don't have a problem okay. because I know he, I'm forgiven. I'll show you my faith by my works. There you go. Look, she doesn't listen. Mic drop after that. I mean, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't mean to. We love you. <laughs> I've got to quote my dear sister, Deborah, who is so wise in many things, but she always tells that 
God has a purpose for us, and we will not leave this earth until we've completed our purpose. That's right. Uh, until then, nothing can take us out. But when we've completed our purpose, we are gone. There's nothing we can do to stay. So mm. I pray that each of us will be faithful to do whatever God calls us to do. And he has different jobs for each and every one of us. And he has so many divine appointments that we just, we never know. We never know usually in the moment who, who, whom we might affect or encourage or discourage my God, forgive us when we do that. Yeah. Very, very good. Thank you for that. Oh, over here. I'll have to admit that probably my theology is not all that it needs to be as far as being correct. But I think that so many times we worry about God revealing what we've done because he's going to hold that over our head. That is not the system of grace. Right. However, if he can, how many of you know what I've done in my life? What have I been forgiven of? You don't know. But when God reveals that to you, his grace will be magnified, not my sinfulness. That's right. And that's the point I want us as Christians to grab a hold of. It's not a time of fear facing the judgment of God. It's a time of rejoicing, celebration, as that revelation is made and we come to realize that even though that's true about what has been revealed, God saved me anyway. Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay, I believe that um, if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're not going to be judged for what bad things you did. In Revelation 22:12, it says, Look, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. Hmm. So I believe you're going to be rewarded for your good works, not punished for your bad ones. I like that. I like that. So, okay, go ahead, Alan. Amen. There you go. So here's the way I kind of look at it. Oh, i got one more over here, Lisa. Let's get her. Yeah, go ahead. We'll get that mic to you. Hold on. Good discussion, by the way. Yes, ma'am. I got a question. You might think it's stupid. Only stupid answers, no stupid questions. <laughs> okay, say so when you get to heaven, right, and you're saved, Yeah. and you haven't... Or, and you make bad choices, but you're saved. Right. And you haven't repented your sins, but you're saved. Okay, so does everybody see everything bad you've done in your life? That's a good question. Um, if you're concerned, I'd take care of it now rather than wait till later. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Yeah. She has a great point up here. Deborah said, I think everyone's going to be too busy reevaluating re their own lives before the Father rather than looking at everyone else's. That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've always heard people talk about how your life is replayed before you and God goes over your life. And I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, there, I, I, haven't, I haven't stepped on that side of the fence and came back over here to talk about it. So. 
So here's how I got a sense. I want to kind of harp on a little bit of what was said over here. Um, I think under the, the old way of doing things, like we tend to think of it like the Old Testament law. Like we're going to get to heaven one day. God's going to pull out the law book. He's going to say, okay, now you stand there. And he's going to go through the laws. Yep, no, that definitely. Those, those four there you didn't do. Uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten you definitely didn't do. And then like at the end we're going to have this, this list of all the things we did wrong at the end, right? But I don't see that with Christ. No. What I see with Christ is not that we're going to be, like Paula said, it's not like we're going to get to the very end and God's going to judge us on all the bad things that we've ever done. I think here's how we're going to be judged. Guess what? Christ died for you. Guess what? You get the benefit of the new covenant. And in this new covenant, one of the, the, the number one stipulations of this new covenant is God doesn't count your sins against you anymore. I know that sounds scandalous. I know that sounds, that sounds scandalous, but that's why we call it grace. And, the, and here's the thing. Grace wipes all that away. And now when God looks at you, he just looks at you and says, now what have you done with the rest of your life? What have you done with the faith? Now that this has been wiped clean, now that you have faith, now that you have freedom, now that you can have the ability to do whatever God has placed upon your heart to do with whatever talents he's given you, now in this time period that I've been waiting for you to come to heaven, what have you done with what I've given you? Am I, you guys think I'm tracking in the right direction that that's what he's looking at with us Queen, stay there your wheels are turning well each one of us will stand and give an account yeah but as the prosecution begins its case the paracletes our, our great God Jesus is going to step up and go I got it. Yeah. I got it. Yes, he's guilty, but I've got it. That's right. And he's going to do that for every one of them. I don't think they'll get very far into the prosecution until <laughs> till Jesus will stand and say, he's one of mine. He's one of mine. And that ends all the debate. That's it. transgressions. So Lisa, getting back to you, I don't think that in the end it's, you know, God's going to be doing anything to try to single you out. I think it's all going to be about singling Christ out. It's all erased. Yes, yes, sir. Um, you're saying that um, once, once a problem, once that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's it, repentance means literally to change. To change everything. So, right? I mean, if if we repent it and we keep doing the same thing, that means we're not changing. Exactly right. So, so the book, think of the Bible. You've got, you've got two bookends to try to keep your life going straight. Right. Okay? There's the side of love and grace that yes. says he has paid it all. And because of that, book of Titus teaches me not to sin. Right? right? Romans chapter 6. How shall we who have died to sin continue in it any longer? That's where Paul is. He's saying, look. You guys have been, as far as sin is concerned, it's wiped away, it's clean. Now take what God's given you and walk in faith, right? Okay. 
Yeah, and, and I'm not denying that whatsoever. The, what I'm saying is, what do we do with it? Exactly. Yep. How do we renew our mind? I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I don't know that we're just sinning by, by breathing. Sinning, according to the Bible, sin is a, is a breaking of God's law, right? So you waking up in the morning and breathing is not breaking God's law. Yeah. Yeah, now give me until about 1030 and I'll probably commit one or two. But no, I'm teasing. But the, po the point is, is that we, uh, when we struggle with sin, you're, what you described is not somebody who's just living in sin and doesn't care. What you described is somebody who has a heart of faith, who doesn't want to sin, who wants to keep moving forward. That's different. That's different than somebody who says, oh, I'm a sinner, I don't care, I'm just going to sin. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. I know I can, I know I do something. And so when I lay down at night, I say, God, forgive me of what I've done every day. And that's good. You try to keep each day accountable with God, right? I do repent every night. I guess that's what I should say. Arthur? Absolutely. And that's a faith that's moving in the right direction. One that's practicing repentance. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate that. All right, get back over really quick. Let's finish out reading uh, Revelation chapter 20. So I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire, that is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he too was thrown into the lake of fire. All right, let's go back to uh, Daniel chapter 12. We're going to just read the rest of this chapter. If you guys have any questions or thoughts as we go, just throw your hand up and I'll make sure to stop, okay? All right, go back to verse 2, Daniel chapter 12. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but to, uh, but to the others, disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal them up in the book until the end of time or till the time of the end. I don't really like end of time. You ever notice the Bible never says that the time, time ends. There's no end of time. There's the end of the age, but not end of time. But anyway, it's not a bad translation. So seal up the book until the end of time or till the time of the end of the age Many will go back and forth, and knowledge shall increase. Now, I think I said that last week. The many will go back and forth. Um, 
There's different interpretations of that verse, but one that I, I tend to agree with, and I think it's what it's talking about, is that reading uh, what your eyes do when they go back and forth, back and forth. It's the idea of what the, the Jewish sages do or the rabbis do when they're studying the Torah intently, reading back and forth. It's saying over time, people are going to keep searching out these things. Now, Daniel, I want you to seal them up. The, the, the things that we've talked about are not for your time, so don't worry about it. So seal them up, Daniel, and they will remain sealed until the time that it's to be understood, right? And that's how I understand it. I don't think that, you know, throughout the last 2,000 years, we just haven't had the, the knowledge to crack the code, if you will, and that if we could just figure it out, then we can unlock the book of Daniel. I don't think that's it at all. I think Daniel will be fully understood when it's time to be fully understood. And there's parts in the book of Daniel now, because of where we sit in history, that make a lot more sense, Right? We stand on the other side of Alexander the Great's kingdom. We can watch it as it divides into four. We can see that so clearly now. But there's other aspects of it that are not so clear, especially to some people when we talk about Antiochus Epiphanes and how he's a picture of the final Antichrist. And some of that's a little bit more fuzzy because, again, we haven't arrived at that place as of yet. Look at verse, um, let's see, verse 5. And then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this side of the river and the other one on that side, on the the, the bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? Now, I'll tell you, a lot of people conjecture that the man in linen is a pre-incarnate picture of Christ or a representation of Christ or basically a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. Is this the case? I have no idea. I don't know. Um, very special being. Obviously, he's delineated out from the other two beings. Most people think the other two beings are angels. The third one probably is an angel, but it could be Christ. We don't know for sure. But the question is, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? Daniel says, I want to know. <laughs> I just want to know. Tell me when's it going to happen. When's the end? I just want to know. Do you ever feel like Daniel sometimes? Just reaching out to know a little more? Verse 7, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river and he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and he swore by him who lives forever. You want to know how long it'll be, Daniel? It'll be for a time, time and a half a time. It kind of bothers you, doesn't it, a little bit? Who said that? Time, time and a half a time. Okay. So what's been, what, three times now through this book at different places, it's talked about this time period. In the book of Revelation, it talks about it twice. Sometimes it's called the 42 months. Sometimes it's called the three and a half years. Sometimes it's called the time, times, and a half a time. Basically, time, times, okay? It's, you can't really see it in, yeah, no, times, like T-I-M-E, time. Times would be T-I-M-E-S, dual, dual, uh-huh, and a half of one time. So it's a Hebrew way of saying three and a half years. A time is a year. Times, you can't see it in English, but in Hebrew it's a dual, two, so two years, and a half of one, so two, three and a half years. Okay. It's a whole lot easier just to say 42 months or three and a half years. But anyway, the Bible likes to do it three different ways, okay? But this time period is the time period that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24. Okay? He's having a, a private meeting with just a few of his disciples. They've come to him talking to him about the destruction of the temple, how not one stone will be left upon one another until all these things happen. And they're pressing the issue, trying to find out more of what's being talked about. And it's at that moment where Jesus refers back to these are things that are said right here in Daniel chapter 12. 
And he says these things will happen during that time period, the time, time and a half of ten. He calls it the Great Tribulation. It's the time period when this final Antiochus Epiphanes, this final Antichrist figure, is allowed to have free reign over the people of God at the very, very end of the age. The last, call it the last war, um, the last showdown between good and evil, um, Hitler 2.0, if you want to think about it that way, it's a bad time. Jesus says that this time period that's coming, that three and a half years, it'll be unlike any other time period that's ever existed in history and never shall it ever be as bad again. That's how, okay? So that's the three and a half years. Okay. Now, what's the purpose of the three and a half years? Look at verse 7. Somebody read it with me. Here we go. It says, I heard a man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. He raised his right hand and his left toward heaven. He swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, time and a half a time. Here's the purpose of the tribulation, the great tribulation. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. What is the purpose of the great tribulation? What is the purpose of the great tribulation? This is extremely important not to miss. Anyone? Okay, go ahead, Pam. Okay. Okay. So at the very end, the Antichrist has given the power to overcome the saints. Now, who are the saints? Well, on one hand, that would be uh, Jewish Christians, right? Messianic believers. On the other hand, that would be good old-fashioned Gentile Christians like you and I. Now, I believe that on one hand, that in the end, there's going to be a great winnowing of God's people. There's going to be a threshing floor. We're going to be threshed, I believe, at the very end of the age. Um, we, we're the most comfortable church that has ever been born. And I think that, uh, honestly, it would be... Um, it would be wrong for our generation to not to be sifted a little bit. Uh, you think about all the other generations that are out there. You think about what Jesus says that in order to follow him, it means to accept persecution. Um, the Bible says that in the end, there'll be a great falling away. So, I mean, it would not surprise me if there would be a great winnowing at the very end. But even more so than that, specifically talking about the Jewish people. If you remember where Jesus left things off with them 2,000 years ago, he's about to go into the city of Jerusalem. And he looks out over the Kidron Valley and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often would I have loved to have gathered you up like a chick gathers her children under her, or chicks under her wings. He says, but you would not. And he says, behold, and he pronounces a curse upon them. And he says, behold, you will not see me again until you say with your lips, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, that's what they were doing that week when they, brought, when they allowed him to come in on a donkey. There were a lot of people that were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they were shouting Hosanna on one day, and three days later, they were shouting, crucify him. And it was the people that were crucifying him, or that were, excuse me, the people that were the main ones that wanted him as Messiah. It was the religious leaders that were the main ones that were crucifying him. I think that when Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, I think he's talking to the religious leaders. I think that's why the Sanhedrin was reestablished about 10 years ago. Because I believe that behind the scenes, if you were to notice the men wearing dark up on the, 
the, the stage that's moving the furniture around right before the final act. I think that what you're seeing is that God is literally rearranging the furniture of history to get it ready to basically start back up where it left off 2,000 years ago. I think that's where we're heading. Many will be purged. Let's see, go back to... Um, so as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Zechariah chapter 12, I believe it is. Um, it says that they will, this is a prophecy, it says when they, when, they finally, when they finally accept that Jesus is their Messiah, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. It says that they will wail and mourn as if someone had just lost their only child. And I, and I, and I just see it. But what happens is, is that in the end, they've trusted, Israel has trusted in everything but Jesus as their Messiah. And finally in the end, when, they're shattered, when their power has been shattered, they will turn to the one that they rejected 2,000 years ago. I think that's how it's going to wrap up. That's just me. Okay, look at verse 8. As far as me, I, could, I heard, but I couldn't understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the time of the end. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished until the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. I have no idea what that's talking about. Do you? Honestly, I've studied this for many, many years. I think that this is probably an example of one of those places in the Bible where you're not going to know until the very end. We know that 1,260 days is three and a half years, right? But he says, blessed is the one who makes it how far? 30 days more. And then go down to the next one. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days? So then after you get to the 30 days after that, count 45 more days more and you'll be even more blessed. Say, Tim, what does that mean? I have no idea. I have no idea. I'll give you my best conjecture after you give me yours. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. I know that that's, that's, uh, that's commonly taught. Um, it, that, that, um, if, see, this would be more premillennialism, I guess, that there's a rapture of the church at the beginning, and then there's those who are left behind, like the movie series, Left Behind, right? And then these dates refer to things that go, could be, could be. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you what I think it has to do with, and this is 100% conjecture, complete conjecture. The first three feasts and the middle one, Pentecost, was all fulfilled on the day that they occurred. And there are intervals of time that occur in between the feast days of Israel. I conjecture that this is probably talking about time that lapses in between the final feast of, of Israel uh, at when, when Christ is fulfilling the final three feasts of Israel. That's about as far as I can take it, though. <laughs> in that conjecture, I have no idea. Okay. But verse 13, I think, applies to Daniel. I think it applies to us, too, especially if we're not the last generation. Here's what it says. But as for you, Daniel, go your way until the end, and then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the very end of the age. And that's what we want, isn't it? To rise again at the very end of the age. Final thoughts 
on the book of Daniel before we uh, wrap up. And I'll, I'll give it to you. Any final questions, final thoughts? Who's got the mic? Rick, you had something? Oh, it's not on. She said. Just two things for us to remember. Number one, if we knew the exact date, if I told you it was December 11th, 2045, that the world wraps up, what difference would that make? What could you do to stop it? What could you do to hasten it? What could you do to postpone it? So knowing the absolute end is not the answer for us. And then this last section that we just read, I think he's saying be faithful till the end. When you think it's over, when that other team is ahead by 14 points and you've only got two minutes left on the clock, do you just throw up your hands and quit? Or do you keep playing till the final whistle? That's the point. Don't give up. Don't give up. Be faithful. Remain faithful. As long as you have breath in your body and even beyond that, I guess. But be faithful. Amen. Anyone else? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Just use okay. The um, when you were talking about the time and a half, the time and time and a half. Yes. And you said it was three and a half years in Hebrew. And you said something about what is the purpose. I didn't catch all of that. Right. Can you yeah, explain sure. that? Yeah, sure. So the more? purpose of the Great Tribulation is is in Daniel chapter twelve, and it said verse uh, seven. As soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. In other words, God's holding out to the very end. So he's allowing this to happen for a purpose, for a reason. And, and the purpose, according to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, specifically chapter 11, is that God is allowing his people to come to the very end of their strength. You think about this, all throughout the Old Testament, what were the Jews called? Stiff-necked people, hard, hard-hearted and, and I'm not making an ethical slur. It's just generally speaking, that's the case all throughout the Old Testament. That, that they doubled down 2,000 years ago when they crucified Jesus. They literally doubled down in their stiff-neckedness, right? We refuse to accept him as Messiah. Jesus told them while he was still living, he said, one day there'll come another one in his own name, him you will accept. And then the Bible also says that one day they'll say peace and safety. They think that they will have arrived at peace and safety through their own doings. And the Bible says once they begin to say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. There's a period of time coming, three and a half years, that the book of Zechariah says, put it to you this way, and I'm not trying to be whatever. In the book of Zechariah, okay, in World War II, one out of every three Jews was killed. One out of every three. Okay? In the book of Zechariah, it describes another conflict between the Antichrist and the Jews and it says that when, that take, when this three and a half years takes place, two out of every three Jews will be killed. So it's so a horrible time period. And praise God that these things are written down so that when that generation finally wakes up and realizes, oh my gosh, I'm the generation living in these, these times, it's going to be real important to lean on some of these truths, isn't it? To be able to get through to the very end. But that's what it's talking about, to break the power of God's holy people. 
and to bring them to their knees that they will finally, finally in the end accept uh, Yeshua, Messiah. Okay, anyone else? I want to close this out with a quick prayer. It's been a long journey in the book of Daniel, but it's been a good one. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for uh, the word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, going all the way down into the division of every part of who we are, Lord. And I pray that as we have studied the book of Daniel, that you would help us to keep these things in our wisdom, that we would live by them. Help us to be like Daniel, who is kind of like us. We, we have insight into some things. We have some things kind of figured out, but but there's other places, Lord, where we're just kind of left scratching our heads because we just don't know what it means. And, and it's okay, Father. We don't have to understand everything to be faithful to you. And like Rick said, in the time that we have, until the day when we stand before your holy throne, until the day when those books are open, Father, may we be found faithful. And uh, Lord, in the little bit of time that we have left, may we, with our lives, write down many, many good deeds in that book. In Jesus' holy, precious name we pray. Amen. I will say this. I know a lot of people... Go ahead, Jenny. I will say this. I know a lot of people say that they uh, don't know when the Lord is coming back. I have enough uh, gumption and hoo to say I, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to see the Lord within at least, at least the next 40 to 50 years. Now, I hope more than that, maybe, if, if the Lord tarries, right? But is that not true? Every one of us within your lifetime it's going to see the Lord Jesus. Because at some point, your lifetime's over. <laughs> right? Okay. Love you.